Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our first guest is international recording artist, best-selling author, Bible teacher, and television host, Sheila Walsh. Sheila, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be with you. I love your new show. Well, th thank you very much. And my mom speaks so highly of you when you had a chance to talk with her on her podcast called Splash. And this subject that, that we're talking about today, the, the struggle that so many people have mentally and emotionally with anxiety, with depression, that's something that you know a lot about. In fact, you've, you've really talked often publicly about your personal struggle with clinical depression. And you've written lots of resources to help people with these mental and emotional struggles. For those who aren't familiar, can you just briefly share your story with them? Sure. I was born on the west coast of Scotland, a small fishing town, and raised by a Christian mum and dad, which wouldn't be unusual in America, but very unusual in Scotland, where probably less than 2% of our population even go to church. But when I was five years old, my father had a massive brain aneurysm, which changed his personality. And he went from being this loving, kind, Jesus-loving dad to this frightening stranger um, and on the very last day he spent in our home, my father tried to bring his cane down on my skull and I fought back. And he was taken off that day to um, our local psychiatric hospital, where eventually he escaped and died by suicide. And back in those days, you didn't talk about things like that. In fact, it was kind of a disgrace that a Christian would be hospitalized. So my dad was buried in an unmarked grave and we left the town and we never talked about it again. And when I gave my life to Christ when I was 11 years old, and my mom told me that God was my heavenly father, I remember thinking, I've got one more chance to get it right. Whatever my earthly dad saw in me that made him hate me, my heavenly father is never going to see that. I'm going to be the perfect Christian if it kills me. Um, and I almost did. I mean, I, I went to seminary in London, then I worked with Billy Graham, um, then I came to America and I co-hosted a program called The 700 Club for five years with Pat Robertson. But one day um, on live television, everything began to unravel and I started to cry and couldn't stop. And by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital, same age as my father. Wow. Wow. What a... What a what a tragic and, and, and heartbreaking story. And yet I bet there are so many people who can say that they have a version of that that they're dealing with and they're trying to cope with it. What, what I mean, that, that sank you into depression, um, mental struggle. What, what, did, what did the road to healing look like for you? You know, it's so interesting because my... Absolute commitment was, was to try and please God in everything. And even though I could feel myself sinking a few weeks before, I just didn't know what it was. So what I decided to do was I took a little time off work and I fasted and prayed for 21 days. And I said, Lord, if there's anything in my life that's unpleasing to you, please show me what it is. But at the end of the 21 days, there was no condemnation, but there was no comfort either. It felt as if heaven was silent. 
But I remember my first night in the psychiatric hospital. I had no, I was in, I'm in a room, there's no locks. They take away everything you could hurt yourself with. I remember thinking this morning, I was trusted with a national television show. Tonight, I'm not trusted with a hairdryer. Um, but the only two words I could squeeze out that night were simply these, help me. And I discovered the truth that our brother, the Psalmist David wrote in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I really believe that God took me to a prison to set me free. Sheila, you've also talked about how it's possible to be well-known and at the same time, desperately lonely. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey out of loneliness? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. When I worked at the Christian Broadcasting Network, um, all the staff there knew you could come into my office and tell me anything you were struggling with. And it would never go any further than the two of us on our knees at the throne of grace and mercy. But I would never have dreamt of reaching out and asking for help because I believed that God's love for me was based on me getting everything right. So though I was well known through television, I was desperately lonely. I had such a wall built up around my heart because I think somehow deep inside I thought, if my father, who once really loved me, could suddenly seem to hate me, then that has to be possible. It has to be something that everybody in my family knew. Until the very last day, the only person my father ever physically attacked was me. He never touched my brother, never touched my sister. And so it made me think, even though no one said anything, did everybody see that there was something wrong with me? And it really took having my greatest nightmare come true. I mean, when I was growing up, I remember an uncle saying to me once, Sheila, you're just like your dad. And I think he meant you sing like your dad, but I heard there's a crack in your soul like your father. And one of these days, no matter how fast you run, it's gonna catch up with you. Sheila, I can hear um, the, the health in your voice with regard to your understanding of the gospel and the grace of God and, and refocusing your perspective on who you are in Christ rather than who you think you have to be to win the favor of God, your Father in heaven. But there, it seems to me that, that it would not be difficult to hear those old voices even today and to slip back into those old ways of thinking. Are there things that you have to continually remind yourself of day after day to stay in a healthy place? You know, one of my dearest friends before she died was Ruth Graham, Billy's wife. And sometimes when Billy would be off out of town, I would go to the house and stay with her. And she said to me, Sheila, when you're studying something, don't just, I mean, dive deep into God's word. But then when you come to other reading, don't just read what's current. Go as far back as you can and read what our brothers and sisters have said during the centuries because they've left a roadmap. And I read this amazing thing by a man called Athanasius. He lived in the fourth century. And he said, whereas most of scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. So what I do every single day, I did it today, I go outside on this little balcony where we live and I read three Psalms out loud because it's so good for my ears to hear what my eyes are reading. And it's like a declaration of this is what's true no matter what I'm feeling. I love that. Getting wisdom from our brothers and sisters from long ago who have been through incredibly difficult things and then 
actually speaking those words back to God in the form of a prayer is, is so healing. And um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Sheila, would you speak to somebody right now who may be in the throes and the depths of depression, struggling just to, to get through another day? How can you encourage them? First of all, I would want to say to you, you're not alone. There are so many who struggle but are afraid to talk because the enemy wants you to feel condemned. But remember, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, I would say, talk to the Lord. Process your pain in the presence of your Father. That's what the psalmist David did. And if you think about Christ on the most difficult night of his life, as he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, sweating blood, he processed his pain in the presence of his father. Tell God the whole truth. Come as you are. And then don't be afraid to get help. There's some wonderful help available. And find a couple of safe sisters or safe brothers that you can be yourself with and will pray for you and hold your arms up when you're too weak to stand. That's such good advice. And I, 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 I wonder also about people who are in positions of ministry leadership. I think even a parent is in an incredibly important position of leader, uh, leadership ministry with their children. And so what do you say to the pastor? What do you say to the, the church worker? What do you say to the public figure who is saying, I have no outlet. I have no brother or sister that I can talk to. I don't have time to, to, to process these issues. Ministry the, the train is, is, is going and I, what do they do? Find time. That is one of the greatest traps the enemy uses to make us feel like what we're doing for God is so much more important than what God might want to do in us. I don't care who you are, whether you think yourself in a very lowly position or you're in a very high position. Find someone that you can tell the truth to. Take time for your own soul. Take time to be with your father. Give, give yourself space and grace to be able to receive the healing because we can only share with others as much as we have received ourselves. What do you wish people who do not struggle with depression would better understand when they see their loved ones who are, who are, who are off the rails and it doesn't make sense to them, you know, just, just don't think that way or, or just, just pray and things will get better. What do you wish that they would know? I think there's a lot of genuine misunderstanding about mental illness. You know, if you have a brain tumor, you can show someone an X-ray and gather a prayer meeting in five minutes, but mental illness doesn't show up on an X-ray. So I think we need to all learn a little bit more. And the greatest gift you can give to someone who is struggling is the gift of your presence. So often as Christians, we think we need a million and one words and scripture verses. Just be with them and listen to them. Allow them to speak to you and you know, I have a friend who's been going through some really tough things recently. And sometimes I go and literally I've sat beside them on the floor of their bedroom for 40 minutes. And all I've done is hold her hand. Now, before I leave, I pray for her. But sometimes we're so quick with words when the gift of our presence, because I believe if you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, then when we walk into our room, the atmosphere should shift because of who lives inside of us. When we come back, I want to talk about how the last few years with all of the anxiety and the chaos culturally through the pandemics and everything else have, have impacted you and how we can find the strength to endure through really difficult seasons.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sheila, thanks so much for sharing earlier about your personal journey with depression and with shame and your journey toward health and victory through the gospel. Let me ask you, how, how have things been the last 18 months, 24 months through the pandemic, through the lockdown? So many people have been struggling with isolation and anxiety. Um, how has that been for you? Well, honestly, for the first few weeks, I loved it. I'm usually out speaking every weekend at women's conferences and I could stay in my jammies and no makeup and binge watch the Great British Baking Show. I mean, it was lovely. <laughs> but... Then I found myself beginning to spiral again. And I didn't realize how much I received from the women when I'm ministering to them, just being with other sisters in Christ and hearing how God's moving in their life. And I really did find myself kind of spiraling again. And I had to become this daily prayer to the Holy Spirit. How do I live in these days? I knew how to live the way things were, but how do I live in these days? And that really has brought me back again to, I'm a kind of Bible geek. I'm kind of a nerd. I just, I love diving deep into God's words. And I have two volumes of the Psalms by a guy called, what's his name, Phillips. And what I love is that he will tell you how old David was when he wrote a particular Psalm, what was going on in his life at that time. And it's been so encouraging to feel like I've been kind of walking side by side with my brother David, and then also walking side by side with Christ through the difficult days. And, you know, I grew up, you know, in Scotland, my mom was a farm accountant. She did the accounts for all the farmers and the shepherds. So I get to watch all the newborn lambs. And and I, so Psalm 23 has always been an absolute favorite of mine, but it's been in studying a, a deeper way. Um, in Scotland, when you watch the the shepherd coming out in the morning and he'll call his sheep and then he walks behind them as he's moving them to fresh pastures and there's always a couple of dogs behind. But in Israel, you'll never see that. The shepherd always goes ahead to make sure there's no danger. But there's two dogs that come behind and I discovered those two dogs are in Psalm 23. They're called goodness and mercy. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I take such comfort in knowing, and, and I would share that with, with your viewers, that Christ is going ahead of us. He's, he's making sure that the ground is safe for, for us to walk on, but his goodness and mercy come behind us. And I remember when one of my friends, um, Evelyn Husband, who's, whose husband was actually the captain of uh, one of the Challenger, the spacecrafts that exploded. And I remember at his funeral, she said that Psalm 23 took on new meaning because it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And she said, I began to realize, Sheila, for there to be a shadow, there has to be light. Even when we're walking in the darkest places, we are never alone. The light of Christ is always present. Sheila, 
I love everything that you're saying, and I can't wait to, to, to ask you more about the books that you've written and the resources that we can get our hands on. I just want to mention that I agree with you. It seems that one of the most important things for us all to understand is that we are not alone. One of the worst forms of punishment for someone is to put them in, in uh, solitary confinement. And especially if we're feeling depressed, especially if we are being tormented by shame and um, illegitimate guilt and depression and anxiety, to be isolated is just the worst. And I love that you wake up and you walk through these things with your friend David, who wrote the Psalms. Uh, I love to wake up in the morning and I, I talk about my old friend Charlie, Charles Spurgeon, of course, and his morning <laughs> and evening devotions. and. And there's something about fellowship with the saints, brothers and sisters, and being in the presence of God himself that just brings us a comfort that we can't live without. Uh, you talk also about something called um, the language of lament. I believe that's what you, you describe in the book of Psalms. What is that? You know, that was something that actually Augustine wrote about. He said that, you know, if the psalm laments, you lament. If the psalm rejoices, you rejoice. If the psalm asks questions, you ask questions. The thing that is so amazing about God's word is sometimes we think in our Western culture that we have to be careful with God. And if we think we have to be careful, then our image of who God is is far, far too small. There's a psalm that's included right in the middle of the psalm, Psalm 88, and it begins in lament. And it does not resolve. It's one of the only Psalms that doesn't resolve. It ends in lament as well. And I think that's included in the Word of God for us to understand there will be seasons, there will be moments when, when we feel as if that's all we can do. But we do have this language in the Psalms, in the Word of God, to be able to pour out our pain. I mean, I, I did a fresh study during the last 18 months on, on the book of Job. And I find it so interesting that all of that Job, this man who was at that point the godliest man on the earth, that, and then his life is absolutely decimated in a way that's hard to, to comprehend. And all his friends who come along with the right spiritual answers, there must be sin in your life, there must be, your kids must have done something wrong. And yet Job takes all his complaints to the Lord. And in the very end, as the, as the story resolves, God tells the three friends, the only person who has spoken accurately about me is Job. And the only way that you three guys have a hope is if he prays for you. God invites us to come with our pain and our questions. And I, I remember telling my son once when he was five years old, he and I were the only two at home the night that um, his father, my father-in-law, his grandpa died. And it was hard for him. And at first he did what I expected. You know, he cried. But then one day I noticed he pushed our cat off the sofa, which was so uncharacteristic. So I said, let's go for a walk, babe. And I said to him, are you angry? And he said, yes, mom. And I said, well, talk to me about it. And he said, you told me that God answers prayers. And when we were following the ambulance, I said, God, please do not take my papa. And he died anyway. So I don't like God and I'm not talking to him anymore. And I said, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. And I drove him to a sports store and I bought him a boxing, a boxing gloves and a punching bag. And I said, baby, when you're angry, hit that thing until you're exhausted, but then fall into the arms of a God who is big enough to accept everything you're going through. If, if any of your viewers are struggling right now, bring it all to the Lord. He will receive you. That's such a good and important word. 
Sheila, you wrote a book called Holding On When You Want to Let Go. Talk about what that book is all about. It really, honestly, Kurt, I started it um, a few months into the pandemic because it was like, Lord, I don't know if I can do this again. When I found myself beginning to spiral again, I remembered how devastating that was a few years ago. And I was like, Lord, I don't know how to do this anymore. And so I had to... I had written four chapters of a book that had a different title. And I remember reading them and thinking, well, that didn't help me at all. And if it's not going to help me, it's probably not going to help anybody else. So I hit delete and I literally started from scratch. And it was like, Holy Spirit, please shepherd me through these. Show me how to live in these days when we want to let go, when we feel alone, when we're afraid, when heaven seems silent. Teach me how to hold on so I can share that with my brothers and sisters. And I love the chapter titles in your book, some of them like The Miracles of God, The God Who Rescues, The One Who Changed Everything. And uh, the concluding chapter, Let Go, You Are Being Held. Uh, talk, uh, talk a little bit about what you mean by being held by God. You know, there's times when, um, you know, we try to hold on to everything that is important to us, but there's times when we have to let go of some things. But what I discovered is that the two are not, they actually sit pretty well together. Because if God is calling you to let go of something, and it might be something that you've depended on, counted on, the one thing we know for sure is that we are being held by God. You know, Hebrews 13 talks about the fact when God says, never will I leave you. No, never will I forsake you. In my friend, Dr. Jeremiah's study Bible, he talks about the fact that Paul has included, or whoever the writer to the Hebrews rather, has included so many negatives in there to emphasize not, never, no, no way will God ever leave you or forsake you. So when you feel as if you're hanging by a thread, just know you're being held by the God who's holding the entire universe in place. You also talk about the importance of checking in on one another and really being a good friend. So often we say like, hey, how you doing? And we just make it this flip comment. But you're saying that it's very important for us to really ask people, how are you doing? And really expect to have a discussion with them. Yeah, I mean, I think you see that in the life, the way that Christ modeled his life. You know, he would be with crowds, he'd be with smaller numbers, he would be with the 12, and then he would be with the three. And I think that we need that pattern in our own life. I have three, what I call safe sisters, and we know each other really, really well. And we can't always get together at the moment, but we can get on Zoom calls. And if I'm having a hard day, sometimes I'll just text them I'm like, hey, guys, I'll catch you next time. And they're like, no, you will not. Get, sit down. I don't care if you've got any makeup and your hair's in a ball cap. Sit down and we're going to talk together. And we need that. We need to be able to speak life to one another because we're not, I mean, I call it the companionship of brokenness, that we're not made to pretend we're perfect little people who don't need one another. We need each other. And you need people that you can trust that will speak the truth to you and you can speak the truth to them. Because the, the important thing is one of these days, Jesus is coming back and we're going to be home with him forever. So let's help each other cross the finish line. Sheila, I'm so inspired just spending this time with you, and I know so many other people are. How can people find out more about your ministry? Where can they get a hold of these resources? And they're going to want to just consume them. Where do people go? <laughs> um, on my website is just SheilaWalsh.com, and I'm on TV most days in a program called Life Today with James and Betty Robeson, or on 
um, Facebook, I'm Sheila Walsh Connect. That's awesome. Sheila, thanks so much for spending some time with us today and for giving us these fantastic insights. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.